0: This is where we live, from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. He's a leader of a local nonprofit, but the former teacher and former member of the Board of Alders now has his eye on another public servant job, the mayor of the city of New Haven. Justin Elliker is less than one month away from a September 10th primary that sets up a rematch between him and incumbent mayor Tony Harp. They first ran against each other in 2013, Harp winning by just a couple thousand votes. That outcome was surprising for a newcomer like Elliker. Now, six years later, does he have a better chance of beating Mayor Harp? Today, Elliker joins us in studio to talk about why he's running. He collected more than 2,000 signatures to appear on the Democratic primary ballot. There's also the general election if Elliker doesn't prevail next month. Do you have a question for Justin Elliker? We're on Facebook Live today. You can visit our page and add your question below the video stream or tweet us at Where We Live. And you can also join us 860-275-7266 or find us again on Facebook. Just search Where We Live. Uh, Justin Elliger, welcome to our show. Happy to be here. So for our listeners who don't know a lot about you, you've been living in New Haven now uh, for more than a decade, but tell us about your upbringing.
1: Uh, Sure. I grew up in Connecticut. I was born in New York City, uh, and my folks moved to Connecticut when I was two. Uh, I'm 43. I'm married, have two little girls, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, and, as you mentioned i 've been a high school teacher, an elementary school teacher. Uh, I was an adjunct professor at Southern Connecticut State University for a while and also worked in the u s Foreign Service for five years
0: that 's interesting. Do you talk a lot about your time at the state department?
1: Some yeah, it was a, um, I think pretty transformative experience for me. Uh, I worked in washington d c for a couple of years in Taiwan for a year and then Hong Kong for two years as an economic officer and Uh, spent a lot of time learning Chinese and I think that um, being outside of the United States and being exposed to different cultures uh, it helps us learn a lot about ourselves in our own country Uh, and so I I enjoy the experience but at the end of the day I'm the type of person that wants to put roots down in my community and with the State Department every two years I'd have to move uh, as a part of the rules of the State Department and I, I didn't want that lifestyle.
0: So what brought you to New Haven?
1: Uh, So I grew up in Connecticut and wanted to move back to uh, a place that was close to my family. Uh, I went to the School of Management and the School of Forestry at Yale and uh, loved New Haven. There's so many incredible things about the city. And I I think um, I'm sure a lot of people that have experienced New Haven uh, feel the same way. There's uh, the arts, the culture. Uh, but there's also an incredible diversity in the city that I think makes us um, strong. It, 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 and our shared wisdom can make us better as a city. I'm not sure if you saw that uh, Nate Cohen wrote an article a couple years ago about uh, looking at all the cities in the U.S., which ones most uh, mirrored demographically, the United States. And New Haven was that city that most mirrored the demographics of the U.S. And I, I feel like New Haven's small enough that you can – Uh, have strong community, but also large enough that we can really make a difference. And perhaps other people can even learn from us if we are able to address a lot of the challenges we face.
0: It's one thing to uh, enjoy living in a city like New Haven that's, that has a lot to offer, but not everyone's going to step up to the plate uh, to want to uh, work for city government, especially be the mayor of, of a city. So, you know, what prompted you first, I guess, to uh, attempt to uh, become mayor back when you were in your 30s? Uh, uh, fairly, I guess, new, maybe a few years in New Haven at the time. What What really attracted you to the job?
1: So I've everything I've done uh, in my life professionally. I've I've always felt like it's important to have a public service element to it. Uh, I think that for all of us, it's important to give back to our community, and there's many ways that we can do that. Uh, I, you know, after the what's been going on at the national level with politics, and uh, having been someone that complained a lot about uh, politicians and the decisions that were made, I felt like it was important for me not to just complain but to do something about it and to step up to the plate uh, and I am running for mayor both because I love the city but I also see a lot of challenges in New Haven there's uh, you know as I w- knock on doors I'm knocking on doors all around the city going to block watch meetings festivals and talking with people all around the city and It's pretty clear that we have a lot of significant challenges. The most uh, stark is around income inequality in the city. We see serious income inequality getting worse at the national level, but we very much have that at the uh, city level as well. And it's everything from access to affordable housing to issues around urban blight uh, to uh, the neighborhoods struggling to get the kind of attention that we often give to downtown, but um, oftentimes don't support the neighborhoods as much as we should. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's time for me to do something about it. And I think my skills and background and interests make me a good fit for the job.
0: Justin Elliker is here in studio on where we live. He's running uh, to be the mayor of the city of New Haven. Uh, first up is the primary on September 10th. He's facing incumbent Tony Harp, who was on our show just a few weeks back. If you have a question for Justin Elliker, the number 860 275 You can also find us on Facebook Live. Just add your question below that video stream. And of course uh, you can tweet us at where we live. Um, you mentioned uh, all of the th- reasons why you, you came to New Haven and why you appreciate living in a, a city um, as diverse uh, that, that represents a lot of what our country has to offer. Uh, but does, does Tony Harp uh, get some um, credit for the city that New Haven has become over the last six years?
1: Of course, of course. I, I think that uh, it you know, po- politics, oftentimes, uh, politicians will say, say nothing nice about the other candidate and stuff. And I think that Mayor Harp has done uh, good things for the city. Uh, and she's had a, a long career of public service uh, as a state senator um, for more than 20, or 20 years. Uh, and so um, I, th- I think that it's important to acknowledge the, uh, the work that she's done. I also think it's important for um, leadership to make, make space for new, new, uh, new people, new ideas. And when you look at what's, uh, what's going on in our city today, we have a, a lot of challenges. And oftentimes our politics gets in the way of implementing good, solid policies that can help uh, address a lot of the injustices that exist in this city. What do you mean
0: when you say politics get in the way? Uh, I'm just curious if you could expand on that.
1: Well, if you open the paper, pretty much any day there's an article that's related to that. And uh, what I mean by that is oftentimes in New Haven, leadership appoints people that may not necessarily have the expertise for the job, but rather they're political friends. They're someone that helped that person get elected. And when we appoint the wrong people for the job, people that don't know what they're doing, we get results that are not always – The best for the community. And to to give a specific example, uh, there's an FBI investigation into City Hall. One of the programs, the Escape Program, uh, was run by the youth director, who's now on paid administrative leave, uh, which is related to this investigation. And this individual uh, was Mayor Harp's campaign manager in 2013. uh, Was Mayor Harp's campaign chair uh, this time around? And is a political friend that doesn't have a lot of experience and background in directing a youth program. And because of that, this escape program – so there's emails that were released that show that uh, the director gave a contract to his friend when he should have put it out to bid as required uh, by the city. And this project, uh, the city spent over $200,000 on this teen center – And after two years of working on this project, the teen center has never even opened its doors. So when we have people that aren't the right fit for the job, teens don't have access to uh, a program that when I talk in the community, so many people are asking for more youth programs in the city. And so people, on the street, uh, people in the community are, are really impacted by these types mm-hmm. of decisions.
0: We should mention that FBI investigation is still continuing. Uh, related to that, uh, you, uh, we heard from uh, you know, campaign uh, spokespeople from uh, Tony Harp's campaign who actually a- accused your wife of having something to do with that FBI investigation. We asked uh, Mayor Harp about uh, that uh, claim. This is what she told us here on Where We Live. Would you say that accusation is baseless then, from Ed Corey? Uh, you know, I don't
2: really know. Um, I, you know, it's uh, something that uh, that he thought at the time, uh, and I honestly uh, don't think that it's anything that could be proved. And you know, certainly I can't say that it's baseless, but. Uh, can't say that there's a basis for it either.
0: So give us some context here, Uh, Justin. Your wife works for the U.S. Attorney's Office. There was a claim, again, from her campaign that uh, because she works for the U.S. Attorney's Office, that she uh, was somehow involved in getting the FBI to investigate this Youth Services Department. What do you think of how Tony Harp answered that question?
1: So so the mayor uh, not only accused my wife of being behind an FBI investigation into her administration, she also included or accused my wife of colluding with Donald Trump and the Democratic Party of New Haven and we look at the um, the lack of leadership at the national level and this uh, post fact uh, political dialogue of everything from making up the size of the inauguration to even in today 's news we saw Donald Trump uh, saying that the Epstein uh, investigate or the Epstein death potentially was related to the Clintons. Uh, It's just shocking to me that that happens at the national level, but it's so disappointing that this has arrived in New Haven. Uh, And and to give you context on what my wife actually does, so my wife is a U.S. attorney, assistant U.S. attorney. And uh, there are two sides to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office. The criminal side and those individuals that are working on the criminal side do investigate and do prosecute. And then there's the civil side, and my wife is on the civil side. Uh, So, for example, if there's a slip and fall in the post office or the VA has a suit against them, my wife will defend the federal government. My wife in no capacity whatsoever works with the FBI. Um, But what's more, my my wife has worked really hard – uh, to get to the point in her career today. And for the, the mayor of New Haven, not only to have her campaign put this out, but then on your show to, to double down on, uh, on what her campaign put out when it was an opportunity for her to uh, walk back those comments and apologize is unfortunate because it damages my wife's professional reputation. My, my wife, Natalie, is, is, uh, has the strongest integrity of anyone I know and um, takes her job very seriously. And it's, it's deeply disappointing to see that kind of uh, rhetoric and, um, and lies coming from the top of the city of New Haven.
0: I'm talking with Justin Elliker today. He's one of the candidates running to become mayor of New Haven. Uh, that primary is next month, September 10th. You can join our conversation if you have a question for Mr. Elliker, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook Live, also on Twitter. Just search where we live. Uh, Sarah's calling from New Haven. Sarah, uh, what's your question? Good morning. and Thank you for taking my call. Um, Justin, I wonder if you could talk about your decision to send your own child to
2: public school in New Haven. Um, and also sort of how you diagnose the state of our Board of Education and what you would do differently.
1: Uh, Thank you for the question, Sarah. Um, So Natalie and I have, uh, if you know anything about the details of New Haven's school districts, we live in the Hooker School District, which is, for many people, um, a desirable school to go to. But we felt like it is important for us, first of all, to send uh, Molly, our four-year-old, to public school, but... um, more importantly, to uh, be a part of ultimately changing a lot of the inequities that exist in our school system. And New Haven school system, public school system is very uh, segregated in many ways. And so we chose to send Molly to a school in Fairhaven uh, that um, has a strong bilingual program. I've spent a lot of my life trying to learn Spanish uh, and I'm still learning. And it's important for us to um, and, and for me to make sure that Molly can learn Spanish at an early age. But more importantly, we're excited about um, being our family being a part of a community that's outside of the bubble of East Rock. And um, the school that we're sending her to in Fairhaven has a much uh, a broader community and a diverse community, and we feel like uh, there's so many challenges with our public school system, and um, it's important for families uh, like Natalie's in mind that, you know, I think we're lucky to have a lot of resources uh, to opt into schools that may be struggling more so that we can be part of uh, using our energy and social capital to help improve those schools. Um, To the larger question of our public school system, we we have serious challenges with the leadership of our public school system. We have many incredible teachers, librarians, guidance counselors on the front lines. Um, But there's a real challenge on the leadership level, and uh, and we've seen that play out at the Board of Education where uh, there's been some infighting, uh, there's been some pretty inappropriate decisions being made about uh, eliminating, for example, teacher positions, uh, laying off guidance counselors and librarians, while not making the kind of uh, sacrifices at the top. And uh, at the same time, there's been contracts given out to that are for uh, sometimes more than $1,000 a day to friends of the superintendent. and So we do have some serious challenges budgetarily-wise at the Board of Education, but it's important for uh, our leadership at the Board of Education to make sure that we don't uh, make the people on the front line sacrifice while making decisions that are uh, supporting our own uh, network and people that really don't need the kind of financial support that – um, all too often they get from the system.
0: You mentioned the challenges that the New Haven Public Schools District faces. Uh, I believe is the deficit about $19 uh, million. And so um, if elected mayor, I believe you have a seat on the school board. Correct. And you also would be able to appoint uh, people to the school board. I'm curious, um, you know, where would you make some savings beyond uh, not hiring out-of-state consultants or out-of-town consultants?
1: So so the mayor has a lot of influence over the Board of Education. And there's a lot of people that I think have said, oh, this is what you, so New Haven changed from a, high, uh, from a fully appointed board to a hybrid board uh, in 2013. Some people say, oh, this is what you get when you have an elected board. Well, there's two elected members, the mayor by charters on the board, and then there's four members appointed by the Board of Education. And uh, th- so the mayor has a, lo- a lot of influence over this body. And we don't even have a CFO. Uh, and we haven't had a CFO in more than a year. And the mayor at a um, a forum that we had a couple weeks ago said, well, we don't have a CFO and we don't know where a lot of the spending is happening because we don't have a CFO. Well, if you're on on the board of an an entity, you can push the superintendent to hire a CFO and you can ask pointed questions to make sure we know where the spending is. Uh, I think ultimately we're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Uh, regarding our public education system. We should have anticipated some of these. Uh, There was a large federal grant, a TIF grant, that New Haven got years ago. And we should have seen that the the funding for that TIF grant was gonna end about a year ago and anticipated some of the downsizing. We will have to make difficult decisions, but the problem that I see is that all too often it is the people that don't get paid much, that are working directly with the students, that uh, their jobs get eliminated rather than uh, looking across the board at a, a shared sacrifice with administrators with operations and we have not seen in this proposal on how to address the budget problems that shared sacrifice
0: what would your be what would your relationship or strategy be with working with unions specifically teacher unions you mentioned a shared sacrifice sometimes those contracts lock people in uh, when you mentioned difficult challenges that can uh, mean they can't lay off certain teachers but maybe they lay off the library or the paraprofessionals,
1: right? So I, I think that the most important thing is having mutual respect and making sure that uh, the the mayor plays a strong leadership role in in respecting our municipal unions. And at the end of the day, the, um, the challenges financially that we face as, as a city, it may make it more difficult for us to, um, to, to find common ground with our unions. But at the same time, I think that most people that are uh, in uh, public sector unions, the police, fire, teachers, understand the strain of the finances. And if we are willing to uh, make sacrifices at the top as well – uh, it makes the sting a little bit easier, and it, just to give you know an example, uh, there was an eleven percent tax increase uh, last year, and a couple months afterwards, the mayor gave uh, top employees raises. Mayor also gave herself a raise, and that's not the right time to give yourself a raise. Uh, that's a time to uh, give a pay cut, right? And when there was an increase uh, back when De Stefano a, a tax increase that was much smaller than 11%, back when De Stefano was in, uh, was mayor of the city, the mayor proposed a, a, a decrease in his salary and Dr. Mayo, who is the superintendent, uh, also had a decrease in his salary. And w- what that did, and they were still making a lot of money, but what that did was say, hey, it's time that we all – uh, have to give a little bit, and having that kind of um, uh, shared responsibility over things, I think makes people that are uh, in in public sector unions feel recognized, feel respected. Another example of this is going on right now is the police department, where they haven't had a contract in three years. And uh, I, as as a general rule, talk with all officers that I run into on the street and say, "How how you you like your job? How you doing?" and Universally, they say that they like their job but they haven't had a contract in in three years and they, they feel a lot of uncertainty around their benefits and they don't feel as respected by the city
0: well how do you how does a city like New Haven uh, really compete against the suburbs that pay much better even Yale University uh, recently hiring a former uh, chief Campbell
1: right so I, I think this is a major problem in our city and just to put it in perspective so we're losing many many officers to the suburbs. Uh, an entry-level officer in New Haven gets paid around forty-five thousand dollars. An entry-level officer in Hamden gets paid around seventy-six. That's that's such a huge gap, and so even though many of our officers love the job that they um, have in New Haven, uh, it's you can't blame them for taking a job that's ten, twenty thousand dollars a year more. And so we have to. The short answer is we have to pay them more. We have to pay them more. And so the question is, how do you do that? We're we're a city that's struggling economically. And we can do that in a number of ways. Well, first of all, we pay about $60,000 just to train an officer. And when another town uh, poaches that officer, we get only a a very small fraction of that money reimbursed. And so we then have to train a new officer. And so that $60,000 is wasted. We should be anticipating if we pay them a little bit more, we don't have to spend $60,000 training a new officer. The second part of this is we pay a lot in overtime for policing, uh, about $8 million. And annually. And some of that overtime is necessary. Uh, you know, For example, if there's a serious incident, an officer shows up and is working with someone that has uh, been a victim of a crime, we don't want that officer an hour in to say, well, my shift's over and I'm going to go home. So some of that overtime is necessary because that officer is built to already start a relationship with that person and knows a lot of information. But a lot of it is unnecessary. We're spending a lot of overtime because we don't have enough officers in our police force, we don't get uh, reimbursed uh, fully for a lot of the events that happen in New Haven that officers uh, spend time on over time. We also have four uh, police assistant police chiefs, and we might not need that many mm-hmm. in order to get the job done. So some restructuring can help us out a lot.
0: Justin Eleker is my guest today here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpethanchel. Again, he's collected enough signatures to be on the September 10th Democratic primary ballot against incumbent Mayor Tony Harp. If you've got a question for Mr. Eleker, eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Or find us on Facebook Live and Twitter. Just search where we live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall September 10th is primary day, and one of the competitive mayoral races in the state is in New Haven. A few weeks ago, we spoke with incumbent Tony Harp. In studio with me today is Justin Elliker, who collected enough signatures to be on the ballot against Harp. This isn't his first time running for mayor. What questions do you have for him? Join us, 860 Find us on Facebook Live. Add your question under that video stream. You can also tweet us at Where We Live. Uh, Justin, uh, Anna on Facebook... Uh, Uh, wants to know, uh, she's hearing a lot about how much debt the city of New Haven is in. She wants to know what got the city to this point and what is your plan to deal with it?
1: This is a a good and complicated question. Uh, So the the city is uh, is facing serious financial problems and they're about to get worse. Uh, Our pensions are 40% funded. Uh, We have $1.5 billion in bond debt. We are not uh, fully funding our health care for retirees. We should have a, uh, about $166 million in that pool right now. We have $3 million. We have serious financial problems. And much of this has been uh, created by a history of us focusing on year-to-year budgeting rather than long-term budgeting and trying to address a lot of the systemic problems that exist within our budget. And oftentimes when political leaders uh, look for uh, making the tough decisions, uh, they end up looking to the taxpayers to address the, the challenges with expenses and revenues in the city. And last year we saw an 11% tax increase. And so there's many things that we need to do to address this problem. Uh, the first is to eliminate wasteful spending. Uh, there's been $50,000 trips to China. There's been hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on lawsuits that we keep losing. Uh, there's been a lawsuit uh, a, that's targeted an ex-employee of the city that the mayor fired that's cost us over $500,000. Uh, we're spending tens of thousands of dollars on lawyers to defend a lead policy in the city that the city, uh, Mayor Harp, rolled back the um Uh, the lead policy in the city and uh, the city should not have Mm -hmm. this new policy period because it's unethical and not protecting our children But then the city's doubling down and spending a lot of money on lawyers to protect the policy. So there's a lot of wasteful spending. And that can save some money. At the end of the day, it's not going to close the gap enough uh, for many of these challenges that we've created in the past. And so we need to look to uh, something other than only the taxpayers to address this problem. Like
0: asking Yale University for more money. That's one of your proposals.
1: Correct. And so I think that there's multiple ways that we need to all pursue them all at the same time. Yale University is one. I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, the state is another and we often ask for the state for uh, more pilot funding, payment in lieu of taxes fu- funding and if uh, – just a short summary of that, the New Haven has about 55 percent of our property is non-taxable and because of that, the state has a policy where they're supposed to reimburse us for some of those funds. They never fully fund it and uh, we keep asking the state. The state has serious financial problems too and we've gotten less over the years and so we need to look for other tools. From the state authority, the state can give us authority to collect a beverage tax, a hotel tax, more revenue on a speeding ticket that we give out in New Haven. If an officer gives out a speeding ticket in New Haven, we get $10. The city gets $10 and the state gets the rest. So there's other Mm -hmm. tools that don't cost the state money.
0: And certainly residents don't like to hear more taxes, Justin.
1: Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Residents in New Haven like to hear more speeding tickets and red light tickets because it's like the Wild West as far as Mm -hmm. driving in New Haven. I think people want some more law enforcement. And it would make it easier if we had more revenue, uh, more of the percentage of revenue from those tickets going to New Haven, for us to actually pay for the officers to spend that time enforcing the law.
0: Are there some concerns from the public uh, that, you know, uh, doing more uh, traffic enforcement that would disproportionately fall on uh, black and Hispanic members of your community?
1: I think this is a great question. And I think that there's ways to overcome this by making sure that we have policies where if the officer pulls someone over that's going a certain Uh, certain speed over the speed limit, they either must give a warning, they must give a ticket, and we need to also spread them out uh, so that they're enforcing the law across the city and so that we don't have a policy that, you know, police in many places have had a history of oftentimes Uh, disproportionately uh, arresting and giving out fines to uh, black and brown individuals. And so we need to be careful about how we implement it. But that doesn't mean that we can't enforce the law in New Haven.
0: Let's talk more about that Yale proposal, though. So uh, how much does Yale University contribute to your city? How much more do you want to see?
1: So Yale, Yale does, I think in this conversation, it's always important to acknowledge that Yale does a lot for New Haven. Uh, And Yale is also a prominent economic uh, force in the city. Yale currently uh, voluntarily gives $11.5 million to the city. And when you step back – it sounds like a lot, right? When you step back and look at the capacity of Yale though, uh, it's pretty small. the city of New Haven's budget is about 160 million or 660 million dollars. Yale's operational budget, annual operation budget is 3.8 billion dollars. Yale had a surplus last year of 91 million dollars. 91 million dollars surplus. And they give to the city $11.5 million. I think that while Yale does some some things for the city, there's much more that they can do. And it's in Yale's interest to do more because we are about to start to have serious financial challenges in the city. And Yale does not want to be in a city where taxes keep going up so that it can attract good talent for its own university where there's serious uh, economic problems in the city and people are struggling to get by.
0: Let's take some calls here on where we live with mayoral candidate Justin Elliker, hoping uh, to become the mayor of New Haven. Uh, You can join us on Facebook Live and Twitter. Uh, Margaret's calling in from New Haven. Margaret, go ahead.
2: Hi, Justin. Uh, As I'm sure you know, for years, New Haven had a national model for a magnet school. It was called the West Hills Follow Through Program. It was it it lasted for at least four decades. It was spectacular. It represented children in every neighborhood in the city, every racial, ethnic group, every socioeconomic group. Uh, our children had a spectacular opportunity to live as citizens and to know each other across neighborhood lines for nine years. This, plan, this wonderful school was demolished by the George W. Bush no-child-left-behind policy because it, was, because it was not a test-driven school. It was a Bank Street magnet school. Uh, we lost this spectacular model for how to educate our children. What can we do to get it back?
1: Uh, Thank you for the question. So there's a lot of research that says that schools that have a very diverse population economically, ethnically, racially, all students do better. And so the vision behind magnet schools in general is a good one where we're trying to integrate people from all different backgrounds. And unfortunately, a lot of times because our neighborhoods tend to be segregated both economically and racially, the uh, the schools that – the traditional neighborhood school model has uh, unfortunately created a situation where uh, schools can be pretty segregated. Uh, and, and so the spirit of magnet schools is a good one where we're trying to mix up all different types of people. There's some challenges, however, uh, and we've seen in New Haven – particularly in, in the last year, some of those challenges come to light where there's a lot of suburban towns that will send their children to New Haven schools – and actually, the suburbs economically benefit from doing that. New Haven residents are bumped from the list because suburban kids will take spots that New Haven residents could have. And so, and and interestingly, there's a lot of children from the suburbs that are black and brown that are coming to New Haven schools, uh, perhaps because they don't feel as comfortable in schools in the suburbs. And so, uh, I, the the spirit of magnet schools versus what's the result of uh, our magnet school program has been, uh, I think mm-hmm. not the ideal result.
0: Uh, I believe Mayor Harp has suggested charging tuition to those suburban students who come into New Haven to go to the magnet schools. What's your take on that?
1: I think that, I, I think that we, that's a good idea that we need to find ways, to make sure that not just with our school system but with our, all of our city that we're making sure that uh, people in Connecticut pay their fair share. And what I mean by that is that you know, I, I look at New Haven and our economic situation in New Haven – of our property is non-taxable. We support so many different social services in this city. And many people that live outside of New Haven and around New Haven come to enjoy the services in New Haven, whether it's working at the university, going to the hospital. And I see very much New Haven subsidizing the suburbs. And when I – you think of someone in a suburban town and imagine tomorrow all of a sudden half of your town becomes non-taxable the rest of you have to pay double the amount of taxes. And that's not fair. And so we need to find all different tools to make sure that the region is sharing in the responsibility for paying for public school system that they're enjoying for uh, the social services and affordable housing that New Haven provides disproportionately compared to the suburbs. Uh, So I think we need to find more of those types of tools.
0: Uh, Ben's calling in. Ben, what's your question? We've just got a couple minutes left.
2: Um I just wondered if the if Mr. Aker becomes mayor if he would support the climate emergency resolution that's currently being uh, uh, considered in the in the Alders
1: yeah, is the short answer is yes, and I signed on to uh the proposal that's being uh that's being circulated by Uh, climate change advocates in New Haven. I have a strong background in the environment. I uh, ran the New Haven Land Trust and I look at uh, the challenges around climate change and particularly sea level rise and how that's going to impact cities like New Haven. I think we need to be much more proactive both on making sure that we adjust our development uh, along the coast, but also given there's no leadership at the national level to address climate change, municipalities like New Haven need to take a prominent role in addressing climate issues. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I'm curious what your take is on, I believe, for many years, uh, there was a a fight to expand uh, Tweed Airport's runway. Uh, I believe the city of New Haven got a a favorable uh, response, and even the governor is uh, supporting this idea of expanding it. If you become mayor, how would you respond to uh, concerns from the community about this?
1: It's actually interesting that you asked this question after climate change. So uh, there's uh, some clear benefits economically to expanding the runway of Tweed, uh, however, there's a lot of questions that I think need to uh, be answered. Uh, one is around sea level rise. So, if you look at projections fifty years out, Tweed is gone. Uh, it's very low level, and as the seas rise, uh, the Tweed could have serious problems. And we may need to not we may not be able to use that asset in the future because it is inundated. And we actually saw two weeks ago that the airport was closed down because of a rain event. And so I think that we need to, and I have not seen any plan by the city on how to address those stormwater-related issues, and if we're pouring lots of money into expanding Tweed, $2 million in this year's budget is investing from the city of New Haven into Tweed, we need to make sure that this asset's going to be around in the future.
0: We just have a couple of minutes left. I'm curious, um, again, you're you're running to become uh, the the mayor of the city of New Haven. Uh, Many cities, different municipalities use incentives to encourage economic development. Certainly, uh, there's a lot of development happening in uh, the Elm City, other places, point to New Haven as an example. I'm curious what your take would be on using incentives to attract developers and others. Is this something that you would support doing in the future?
1: So oftentimes, I think we look at incentives is tax breaks. And people are moving into New Haven, people are investing in New Haven, uh, I don't think because of the tax breaks that we give out to uh, developers. And so I'm not a big fan of that. I think the incentive is New Haven itself. And people in general around the nation are moving back to cities and New Haven is hot right now. People want to live in New Haven because it's an incredible place to live. And as we continue to make New Haven more Uh, safe, the schools better, uh, to be a more walkable and bikeable city, People will opt into New Haven. People will want to invest in the New Haven. And it's just too difficult for me to say that I'm going to give a tax break to someone that is building a large building in New Haven when there are so many residents in the city that just suffered an 11% tax increase that are paying so much of their own money. I think New Haven itself is the incentive. And as, as mayor, I think that uh, the leadership championing just what New Haven is is uh, is going to drive a lot more uh, investment into the city.
0: Uh, before we run out of time, we've mentioned um, New Haven's black and Hispanic uh, residents a few times. I'm just curious with your background, who you are, what is it about you that would attract them to the polls to vote for you, Justin Elliger, over Tony Harp?
1: I think this is a great question. And at the end of the day, I've been knocking on doors in every neighborhood around the city. and. Not only has there been a lot of frustration uh, in the current leadership, but there's enthusiasm for a different type of government that invests in all neighborhoods, that's more accessible, that enjoys interacting with people. Uh, And I have a strong history of uh, working with communities across the board and delivering. So with the New Haven Land Trust, uh, I took over the organization uh, five years ago. And uh, we turned around the organization our team and invested more in youth programming, which is something that I consistently hear free youth programming in, uh, in neighborhoods like Newhallville and Dixwell. And, um, and, and those are the results. People want results at the end of the day, and they're not getting them now.
0: I want to thank Justin Elliker for joining us here on Where We Live. Again, he's a candidate for mayor. He's on the ballot next month, September 10th, primary day, against incumbent mayor Tony Harp. Uh, Justin, thank you for coming in. We appreciate it. Happy to be here. I'm Lucy nalpith After the break, we're going to get some analysis from Paul Bass, editor of the New Haven Independent. Now, if you live in New Haven, what candidate are you supporting in this mayor's race? You can join us. Find us on Facebook Live or Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So you just heard from Justin Ellicker. He's a Democrat running against incumbent Tony Harp in the city of New Haven's mayor's race. That primary next month, September 10th, a rematch between the two. Now, for more on this race, joining us uh, via our studio at Gateway Community College in New Haven is Paul Bass, who's the editor of the New Haven Independent. Paul, welcome back.
3: Hi, Lucy. Nice to speak with you.
0: So uh, Justin Elliker definitely has uh, a lot of ideas for the city of New Haven. Again, uh, this is a rematch between uh, him and uh, Tony Harp. What stood out to you about his candidacy this time around?
3: Well, it's it about the interview you just did with Justin and the one you did with Tony Harp a couple of weeks ago in a meta sense. I think the interview you just did said a lot about the dynamics of this race in particular And how primaries work and how, you know, apart from which candidate you like, they really are a cleansing and positive force for a city to have when you have an incumbent. So your interview today started out, your first call came from the same person who called at the beginning of the Tony Harp interview. Someone who works very hard with a citizens group for Justin Elliker, very critical Tony Harp. She started out your interview with Tony Harp, <laughs> putting the mayor on the defensive with a critical question, and started out this one sort of softball, asking about how great he is for sending his kids to public schools. And I think to me, what that reflects is the dynamic of this race in the city, because throughout this the Tony Harp program, you didn't see her people organized or even concerned that she was on WNPR, what kind of impression do we make? Do we have our people call in? You had people from the Elliker camp bombard, and supporters Mm -hmm. bombarding her in the last program. Really, it was a very defensive interview. She didn't come across great, she wasn't at her best. And you had Elliker's people, all positive questions here. I think the WNPR listenership is voting for Elliker, and the WYBC listenership, Mm -hmm. which is the largest listened to African-American and working class station in New Haven, is probably going with Harp. And I don't think that's good. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a reflection of reality and also about the way the different campaigns are organized and what they're paying attention to.
0: So who's going to turn out uh, next month? That's always the question, right? Turn out. And uh, I had mentioned earlier that uh, Justin Elliger, um he actually had a pretty good showing the first time that he ran for mayor back in 2013. Does he have a pretty good shot?
3: Everybody believes this is a close race and it's a two-tier race. It starts out with the Democratic primary. People believe Tony Harp has the edge in that one, although it's not a given. No one's taken as a given. She and Justin Elliker are both working very, very hard making their case to people. I think that's going to be close. Then you have a general election where Justin Elliker is on the ballot again. Tony Harp is running only in the primary, but Justin Elliker's name is on both just as in 2013. And you have 16,000 unaffiliated voters in New Haven. They broke for Elliker two-thirds in the last general election. That group, I believe, has grown. You have 48,000 Democrats. So this is way too close to call. I'm going to try to have a tiny bit of humility (laughs) as a journalist to say, I really don't know who's going to win, Lucy. But everybody believes this is a very hotly contested race that can go either way. I think Elliker has the math favoring him somewhat in the general. People believe um, that Tony Harp has the math favoring her in the primary. Um, so it's, we'll see. It's been a very interesting race to cover.
0: Have you seen uh, any, uh, I guess, uh, um, interest from Tony Harp's campaign to try to uh, woo the independents? Or is her first uh, first step is to, to, to win in this primary?
3: Well, um, the independ- independent-minded voters count, too. So there are five or six largest voting wards out of 30 in New Haven. And they are mostly white wards. And they are mostly pro-Eleca wards. And they've gotten bigger especially the downtown ward. However, um, if there's a strong turnout in African-American wards, that's a good argument for Hart. But Hart's people are also making a case to the new New Haveners, who have tended to be Ellicott-type voters in the past. They're saying, look, we've had a boom in New Haven since she's been the mayor. And actually, she's, you know, she's had a tough third term. She accomplished a lot, her first two. Where she's had her best accomplishments often, although she doesn't really talk about much and her opponent doesn't, is actually in economic development. Because the boom is not just that people want to come to New Haven, as Eleker said. But there are a couple of key decisions the Harp administration made that could have gone either way that actually promoted the boom. The biggest one being District, which is an old uh, Connecticut bus depot that was polluted, empty. And a developer from New York wanted to do a traditional big box development there. It was a competitive process in which the Hart administration picked. Local entrepreneurs took a risk, and it is the single biggest um, economic devel- development success story in the state. People make like Hodge-type pilgrimages there when they run for state office economic development. Within less than a year, it filled up with over 100 companies and uh, – I'm sorry, over 100 employees. You got millions of dollars of investment from Silicon Valley in tech training there. And so there are a lot of things that have gone wrong with the Hart administration that Elliker is fairly pointing out. It's not sure if he has a lot of solutions to that yet, but that's fair discussion why primaries are important. And there's a lot that's gone right, too, that does potentially put all the voters in play, but the Harp administration has been slow coming to make that case, people aren't hearing the case. But there's a case for both candidates and both candidacies.
0: What's the the one issue, if there is one issue, that could really hurt um, and help uh, Justin Elliger at the polls? Is it what's been happening with the New Haven School Board and community opposition to Superintendent Burks?
3: I think that is one of three that are huge. So for her first two terms, Tony Harp did not control the school board. Her third term, she said, this is the term I'm taking control. I now control a majority. I'm going to pick this new superintendent over public opposition because she honestly believes she was the best. It's been a complete disaster. We're now going to go through our third superintendent in three years. They're trying to avoid her leaving before the election, but everyone knows she's on the way out. Constant fighting, which a lot of blame to go around, including supporters of Justin Elliker, And uh, so the mayor owned it and it has fallen apart. So she, that is definitely on her. I think city finances are a big problem and it's not just stuff she inherited. And um and uh, the uh, you know obviously the corruption investigation I don't believe there's been evidence of illegality. There are certainly some bad decisions you will find in any administration, but it's real and they reacted terribly. They didn't tell people there was a subpoena. They really downplayed it and did that, you know, conspiracy. I want to ask you what was your impression because there's a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. After the last time Mayor Hart came out, and you asked her about the conspiracy theory her campaign promoted. So it seemed like your interpretation, Justin Elker, today, the way I wrote about it, was that she did not disown it, but she felt very strongly she did. She felt it was very unfair of the media to say she wasn't disowning it when she said, I can't prove it's true. I can't prove it's not. And there's such differences of perception. I mean, how did that sound to you as someone who's not in New Haven, Lucy?
0: I mean, I, I feel like you know, this is something that you and your team have been covering pretty extensively. But uh, her answer to us, to me, it felt like she wasn't tr- truly discrediting it. Um, and I think that that was uh, the interpretation a lot of people had. Uh, but I am also curious if uh, this corruption investigation, again, there's, it's still going on you said, there's no um, uh, findings just yet, if it's really going to uh, make an impact at the polls uh, come next month.
3: Okay, you know, best analysis I heard was from State Senator Gary Winfield, mm-hmm. who, um, very prominent at the Capitol, he's staying neutral in this race. And he said, you know, there are a lot of secondary issues, this foundation of dissatisfaction you often have with any incumbent, and a lot of it might be true or not. Is development really not helping our neighborhoods just downtown? I think that's an open question. You can't come down either way. Mm-hmm. The schools are a mess. People feel those are basic issues, and then stuff puts on top of it, the complete mishandling of these lead paint lawsuits. Four judges have ruled against the city, and they keep spending big money and outside lawyers trying to fight an unwinnable case for the right not to treat poisoned kids. So his argument that there are secondary issues like that on top of the first set of big ones that make the incumbent in danger doesn't mean people will go to the challenger. The challenger has to prove that he can fix it, and that with his less experience than the mayor has, that it's going to be better experience. But uh, so in answer to your question, I believe there, is, there are these foundation issues about finances and schools, then, and then there's a secondary issues like the um, FBI probe, which you've had in other administrations, much bigger mm-hmm. stuff happened in the Stefan administration. Um, you have the lead paint that then becomes like an add-on that contributes to a sense that's been developing, and then the challenge is up to Elker, how he can ride that.
0: And I'm curious, uh, with the lead paint issue, when we think about uh, properties that are very old, uh, families that are renting, often uh, families of color, uh, children uh, that are being impacted, is this issue of lead paint really resonating in uh, the African-American and Hispanic communities where they're upset with how the City Hall has been handling it?
3: I'm not really sure. You know, it affects those communities more. I see it more in advocates, People kind of follow what happened in Flint and say, it's definitely not like Flint, New Haven by any means, but this is public health community, the irony being, Tony Harp is one of the biggest champions of public health in the state. She had a great record in Hartford State Center, national awards for what she's done, and she cares a lot about it. And people are mystified at how this is being mishandled. So we had a lead paint program where we use the Centers for Disease Control standard for how low lead has to be before everyone gets tested. Then without telling anyone they changed that, that um, policy. They didn't have enough inspectors, they, and etc. They got sued by legal aid. Four separate judges ordered them to change back to the old way. And the Harper administration said, no, we don't want to do it. We don't have to. Then after all the political fallout and losses, the mayor holds a press conference saying, we'll go back to the old standard. But then her own person she appointed contradicted her at the press conference, said, no, we won't. The mayor said, yes, we will. And then they submitted a proposed law that did what the director said rather than the mayor. So it's kind of a circus that I think, as Gary Winfield said, it's not the first issue in people's mind, but it is resonating somewhat in the city as a as a collective idea. But Justin Elliker still has to, you know, more than he did with you on this program, mm-hmm. say if he wants to pay cops more, if he wants more money to attack these problems, where is it going to come from? That idea about state enabling legislation to tax beverages or nights out. That's a good idea. The Harp administration has been fighting. Neither of them controls Hartford. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, uh, Tony Harp, again, a longtime politician. She was a, a member of the Board of Alders, a longtime state senator, now six years as mayor. Um, are all The fact that her name has been out there, uh, is this still going to be an uphill battle for Justin Elker, you think?
3: I think it is in the primary because, I mean, any incumbent after six years has to make a lot of decisions and gets people mad. So everyone's mad at Tony Harp. Is for Ellicker. That's not a big group in terms of people who've had like lawsuits or arguments with her. And then he inherits their problems if he wins and has to then decide whether he'll be ethical or not. But I think that um it's still an uphill battle anytime you're going after in a company, especially when it's you know Tony Harper's a lot of goodwill in the city. Mm-hmm. Just like Ellick, you know they're both very good people with public interest um, in their heart and soul and intelligence and commitment. So I think it's an uphill battle in the primary. But it's way too close to call. And it's an exciting race that makes us better as a city because these issues are important.
0: Paul Bass, again, editor of the New Haven Independent. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Thank Where you, We Live. Lucy. Uh, thanks to Tucker Ives, also our digital producer, Carlos Mejia. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.